Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, what a joy it is to gather together to worship you, to sing to you, to pray to you, to read your word, and then now to come to the preaching of your word. Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, us being able to gather. Lord, we know uh, it has been a trying season where gatherings have started and stopped multiple times throughout our country for churches. Father, Lord, help us, as we have seen, Lord, to never take it for granted the opportunity to gather together, to worship together, to build one another up. Lord, we pray that you will bless our time together this morning. Father, Lord, we also know that we are not the only local church that is gathered this morning. Father, Lord, we want to pray, in fact, for, this, for Eternity Baptist Church here uh, this morning, Lord, in, in our area, Lord, laboring and partnering together with them in our local Baptist Association, Lord, we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that as they are gathered this morning, Lord, that they are able to lift up their voices to sing praise to you, to hear your word proclaimed, and Lord, that that particular local church is built up as well. Lord, we pray for uh, your faithfulness, Lord, to continue to be made known in that church, Lord, for that church to be built up. Father, Lord, we also uh, want to pray, Lord, for our missionaries around the world. Lord, we want to pray for those laboring in Latin America, Lord, and in those nations, Lord, uh, where heavy Catholicism is and, and where uh, it's a matter of works righteousness rather than the righteousness of Christ. Father, Lord, so we pray for our Southern Baptist missionaries there through the International Mission Board, uh, Lord, that they are able to labor to reach the lost, that they are able to pour into uh, churches and, Lord, help them to stand firm upon your word and the truth of it. Father, Lord, we pray for faithfulness there. Father, Lord, as we enter a uh, challenging week for our nation, Lord, we also want to pray for it. Lord, our nation has been divided for so long over the left or the right of the political sphere. Regardless of what an election dictates or takes place or the results found in it, Lord, I pray, we pray as this body, Lord, for a nation that is united, that labors together for the good of the whole, and not the partial, not the individual, but the whole. Lord, help us to uh, unite around why we exist as a nation. Lord, to be a free nation, a nation that is, was founded upon that very idea of freedom. Lord, we thank you for that, but we do not want to take it for granted. So we pray that we will work towards that together, despite how one another, our neighbor, voted. Lord, help us to love one another in that. Lord, be with us in this coming week. Father, Lord, now as we come to your word, would you quiet our minds? Would you prepare our hearts to receive your word? Stir us, move in us. Where sin needs to be exposed, Father, Lord, we pray that sin would be exposed. 
where our hearts need to overflow in worship, we pray indeed that our hearts would just fill with worship of you. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. And this we pray in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. As tomorrow finally comes, my wife and I and Betsy Grace close on our house. We've had to go through inspections and walk through tomorrow and and all of those fun things. But as I was thinking about today in this text, the thing that kept coming to my mind was thinking about our inspection on the house. Why why is that such a a foundational piece? Because you need to know that the house is on, on good bones, that it's got a good solid structure, that you're not buying something that's going to start falling apart and crumbling the moment you move in. And it still may do that. But you, you want to know those things are solid. Even the trees, making sure they have solid roots in them, that they're not just going to come blowing down on your house and, and destroying your roof the moment the first storm comes after buying it. That, that's an expensive purchase. And And we had to walk through that and think through it. What all do we want to push on? What all do we not after the inspection? Because we wanted to be wise with what we were investing in. But we had to see what was there. We had to make sure those trees had good roots. We had to make sure the foundation and structure was sound. What about us in our Christian lives? How often do we inspect where we're standing? The roots that our faith has. Are they shallow or are they deep? Is our foundation solid or is it shaky at best? And I'm not talking about doubt, as you'll see as we move through this sermon, but solid on the foundation of Christ, rooted in the depths of who he is and what he has done for us. That's what I want us to look at this morning as we come to our next passage of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. You know, the beauty of expository preaching is I don't get to shy away from passages. And and by expository, simply working through a whole of a book, verse by verse, and pulling out the main point of the text, and hoping that is therefore the main point of the sermon. I don't get to shy away from any topic this way. And that's what we continue doing in our study in Colossians. As we've already been seeing that Christ is supreme, he is over all, this message of this gospel has come to the church of Colossae. It came to them by the preaching of Epaphras, who had heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul. He came, he brought it to this church of Colossae, and now Paul is writing to this church to encourage them, to build them up, to make sure they're standing firm. And may the same be true of us here at Central City Baptist Church. So hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 2 this morning, beginning in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, 
and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, I told you I don't get to skip those awkward points. In my fourth week, I think, I have to talk about circumcision. Great. (laughs) But not even that is the main point. The main point of this text, and if I'm doing this preaching thing correctly, the main point in the sermon is this. If you're going to write anything down, write this. Christian, we are united to Christ Therefore, we are called to walk in Christ, for he alone brings us near to God. Christian, we are united to Christ. Therefore, we are called to walk in Christ, for he alone brings us near to God. I'm going to unfold this in two points. Point number one, walking in Christ. Point number two, united with Christ. Let's look at point number one, walking in Christ. Here in verse 6, we see, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is the first command of Colossians. It's the first imperative, giving us specific pointed something we're supposed to do. That's all that the imperative, all that the command is saying. This is the first, this is what you do. Walk in Christ. Paul's already been laboring out, this is what it means to be in Christ. This is who Christ is. And he's going to continue that too as we walk through. But what does it mean to walk in Christ? Well, look here at verse 7. It says, so walk in him there at the end of 6. Then it says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's a lot there. But in verse 7, Uh, looking at it from a grammatical standpoint, there's three participles that help us break down what it means to walk in Christ. It's rooted in, built up, and established. That's what it means to walk in Christ. To be rooted in, to be built up in, and to be established. But let's unfold that a little bit more. This idea of being rooted in is horticulture, a growing of things. Just kind of like in our home inspection, we needed to make sure the trees that were in our yard had good roots, solid roots, so that they stood firm. That's what this is saying. Be rooted in him. That's the descriptive gather, being rooted in what? Being rooted in him, Jesus, the one who's supreme over all. That's the idea of being rooted But this also goes back to Jesus' own words back in John. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus was telling his disciples, and therefore us, to abide in him. To be, now Paul is reminding, we are called to be rooted in Jesus. You know, you, you think about the, those tall oak trees. How do they grow so tall and old? Their roots go deep into the soil. The richness of that soil gives life. It nourishes. It causes those trees to flourish and stand firm for decades and centuries. Christian, what is the root of your hope? What is the root of our hope? What is the root of everything we believe? Is it in the deep, rich soil of Christ? Or is it rooted in the things of the world? Rooted in the things of tradition that we'll look at momentarily. What is it rooted in? Let it be rooted in Christ, for it is in Him we are nourished. We abide in Him. We need to be rooted in Him so that we may walk in Him. Next, we see this idea of being built up in Him. So Jesus is described as the cornerstone that holds the foundation and the rest of the structure together. Everything else depends on this cornerstone. In the same way, we're being called to be built up in him. We're not called to build our own foundation. We're not called to rest upon our own dependency or the dependency of the things of this world, but on Jesus himself. That's what we're called to be built up in. Let us be built up in Christ, for it is him who holds all creation together. It is him who is over all creation. Why do we go and try and build our faith on circumstances or traditions or things of this world and of creation itself if Jesus is the one who's over all of it? You see the danger there for our hearts. We want to trust in things and then we wonder why when things don't go our way we begin to panic and struggle. It's because of where our faith is resting in, what our faith is built upon. It must be Christ. Praise God that this church has stood for 130 years, and may it stand for another 130, and on and on until Christ returns. But it does not stand, and it will not continue to stand, unless we root our faith, unless we build it on Christ. It is on Christ our hope is built. But then it goes on. The third one, looking at this idea of we are to be established in the faith. But look, but look at what follows. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we're called to be rooted in Jesus, to be built up in Jesus. And now we're called to be established. But what? Established in what? says, established in the faith, just as you were taught. 
This is nothing new for the Colossians and should be nothing new for us here today. We have been taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been taught what it means to come to salvation. It's faith and faith alone in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, to the glory of God alone. This is is the faith we have. It's in Jesus. This is what we were taught. So our faith is to be established in this, just as we were taught. But the temptation is when outside teachings and, and philosophies and strategies begin coming into play. Oh, you know, your church will be successful if you do this, this, and this event. Or your church will be successful if you worship in this way or you sing this kind of music or your pulpit is one kind of way or another. Whatever the case, that's the danger that we fall into. And we're all guilty of it. it We need to be aware of this, church. This is what it means to be established in our faith. It's in Christ. But why? Look what follows in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Satan has always worked in a way of deception. In the garden, he tempted the woman by deceiving her, by saying, you shall not surely die in taking of the fruit. He twisted God's word to lure the woman and Adam into taking of that fruit and eating of it. He deceived their hearts by twisting God's word. He did the same thing With Jesus, he he tried to tempt him in Matthew 4, and Jesus resisted, which is why it is him who our righteousness is found in. But it wasn't only Adam and Eve or, or Jesus that Satan tempted. He tempted the kings of Israel to trust in other nations instead of God himself and his promises. You look throughout the whole books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, even 1 and 2 Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the prophets, all of them are these kings being tempted to trust in uh, Egypt, to trust in, in Assyria, to trust in another nation instead of the Lord our God. Satan loves to tempt. He loves to twist and deceive us. He wants to lure us away from the truth of God's word. He wants to lure us into this false comfort, this false security of salvation. And one of the ways he does this is through philosophy. The other way he does this is through human tradition. Just think of what was said of the Sadducees and Pharisees who had more traditions than any Baptist could ever think of. And I'm as Baptist as anyone here. So that is not a shot, but it's a reality check, church. The Pharisees and Sadducees were more concerned about the cleanness of their cups than the depths of their hearts. They were more concerned with tithing the mint and dill and cumin than they were that of honoring their father and mother in their old age. They did not have the weighty things of God actually as the weighty things. They had their traditions that they held more onto than they did the hope of God, 
which it was his mercy and his grace. They didn't realize that the very sacrifices they were holding religiously was meant to point them to their desperate need in Jesus, a coming Savior that has now come to us. What are we holding to, church, for our traditions? What are we tempted to be more drawn to to grow in godliness than in Christ himself? If I, in a a year or so, was to say, oh, we should change this and that in, in the sanctuary, what would cause our hearts to be more up in arms? Would it be that? Or would it be if I stopped preaching the word of God? Ask yourself. I have to ask myself this question. If I was to say we should change the the type of music we sing because it it doesn't reach this generation, would we be more up in arms than that because that's not how we've done it? Or would it be because I stopped preaching Christ? What causes our hearts to be more up in arms? Is it traditions or is it the gospel? That is unchanging. Let us ask ourselves this. What is our hope? What is our security in? It can't be what we've done for 130 years because it may not stand, but it must be in Christ. His kingdom is being built for the last 2,000 years and will continue. His kingdom will come, and that's what we must be established in. That's what we must be rooted in, in Jesus. And that's what we must be continued to be built up in. Let us be built up in Christ because that is the sure foundation. That is our only hope in life and death, as the first of the Heidelberg Catechisms say. Our only hope in life and death is Christ. May our faith be rooted in Jesus. May we Central City Baptist Church be rooted and built up in Jesus. May we be established upon the powerful gospel that has gone out and been at work both in the Church of Colossae as well as here. That's how we stand. That's how we're not lured away. And if we we need even more reminder of this, look at verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Well, actually, let me back up. See, I'm trying to skip over elemental spirits. What does this mean? There's all sorts of ideas here. Is it that of wind, of air, of earth, fire? Uh, If any of your kids watch Captain Planet, the only thing missing here is heart. Some of you that went over, go watch Captain Planet. It'll make sense. But the point is, it could be that. The most popular line of thought is this is demons, this is Satan and his minions. Whatever the case is of these elemental spirits, they don't stand to Jesus. It's the things of creation, it's the thing of of rulers, authorities that we looked at a couple weeks ago in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And it's saying... Jesus is over all of this. The full deity of God dwells in Jesus. He's over it all. He's holding it all together. Nothing's coming against him. Nothing's standing against him. He is supreme. He is the ruler over it all. That's why 
we cannot be lured or deceived by these. They hold no power. Regardless who wins the election, regardless of what North Korea does, regardless of what China does, none of it holds any power to Jesus. He's fully God. Praise be to our God for that. And it is in him, this Jesus, that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, just as it does in the Father, just as it does in the Spirit, three in one. One God existing in three persons. It took God himself, the Son of God, coming to save us, and this who has come to deliver us. But but look here as we turn our attention to point number two, being united in Christ. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And you have been filled in him. Notice that shift. It says the fullness of deity dwells in him being Jesus. Now that fullness is in us. Christ dwells in us who are Christian. That should cause our hearts overflow in thankfulness. The fullness of God has come and is dwelling in us through the power of the Spirit. Those who have trusted in Him. He's united Himself with us. That's what we're looking at here in these next few verses. That we're united to Christ. In 2.18, which we'll look at next week more, it says, well, let me read it here. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, I don't have time to unfold that or we'd be here two hours today. But we will look at that next week. The point is that it's, our union with Christ that gives us all of these things. These things don't bring godliness. These aren't the reason we walk in Christ. The reason we walk in Christ is because we have been united to Christ who dwells within us. And going on, Jesus, there in verse 10, who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, pointing back to what we've already seen in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Think about the old covenant and circumcision. It was for males eight days old would have to take and and have a knife carved. That was with hands. It was made with a scalpel. And yet, even from our scripture reading this morning, we see that a circumcision without hands is that of a new heart. Christ himself has given us a new heart. He has given that kind of circumcision. He's transformed us in our thinking, in our minds, in our hearts, that we may love God supremely in those ways. This is what our union with Christ does. It brings us new life and a new heart. But it goes on, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from 
the dead. You know, even in our, our symbol of baptism, you know, us Baptists have this right. This paints a, a perfect picture of, in case for immersion. As we go under the water, we die to the old self. And as we rise anew, we're raised with Christ. This is the symbol of what this is describing here. In Christ, we die to the old. We die to our sinful self. We die to the old self that we may rise in him. The old is buried in the cross. And in the cross, we rise new with Jesus to be with him forever in his Father's kingdom. What rich promise is that, church? Let that comfort and encourage our hearts. We have been raised with Jesus through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And I don't have time to go into 1 Corinthians 15, but even there we see the hope of his resurrection brings us hope of ours. That because Jesus has been raised from the dead, even those that are dead will be raised that are in Jesus. What comfort, what encouragement. This is who we've been united to. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here in the cross, we find our hope. In the cross is where we see that we have been united to Christ the most. Why is this? Here, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Remember, church, we do not deserve access to a holy God. All of us have sinned against our God. We were unworthy. We had stood as enemies of God. And yet, and yet, here, made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses because Christ stood condemned in our place. He stood where we deserve to stand. He bore the weight of our sins. He bore the weight of our trespasses. He bore the weight of it all. As he was nailed to the cross as a criminal, he stood in our place. He stood condemned there for us. In the cross of Christ, we see here this and its legal demands have been dealt with. We see rulers and authorities are disarmed and put to shame in the cross. And it is in the cross Jesus triumphs over all enemies. In the cross, our hope is found. I love this hymn. Uh, it's O Fount of Love by Matt Boswell. It's, here's the words of one of the verses. It says, O Mount of Grace, to thee we cling. From the law hath set us free. Once and for all on Calvary's hill, love and justice shall agree. Praise the Lord, the price is paid, the curse defeated by the Lamb. 
All we who once were slaves by birth, sons and daughters, now we stand. It is in the cross where we find God's love and justice meeting. They met in the person and work of Jesus. This is why Jesus is the foundation of our faith. This is why Jesus is the one we must be rooted in and built in and established in. This is our hope, church. It's not in our traditions. It's not in philosophy. It's not in asceticism, which we'll look at again more next week. It's in Jesus. How do we stand through decades and decades of faith? It's in Jesus as uncertainties of COVID, of presidential uncertainty, of of worldwide global issues. Church, we have a strong foundation. His name is Jesus. That's where we stand. That's where we as Central City Baptist Church need to continue standing in Christ. And this is the message we need to take to a lost and dying world. Jesus is our only hope in life and death. It is this gospel we want to go and proclaim. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know this Jesus, what are you waiting on? There's no more hope that can be found other than that in Jesus. He's a strong hope. He's bled and died to forgive us of sins so that we may stand righteous before a holy God. But what about for us, Christian? We don't get off that easy. If this Jesus died for our trespasses, what are we putting in his place to hope in? Again, asking ourselves, what is it that gets our hearts aflame? Is it because things aren't our preference? in a Sunday gathering? Is it because there's talk of maybe we should move a Sunday school class because it's not meeting the needs of the whole church? Or or maybe it's we're not doing an event we've always done that's not really evangelizing and reaching the lost. Do we get more fired up for those things? Or is it this very gospel that we're passionate about? and willing to do whatever it takes to get this gospel both to our city and to the ends of the earth. Let's go and proclaim this gospel to the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we pray that we will be rooted, built up, and established in Christ. God, we pray that we will be a church that loves you and worships you forever and ever. Lord, let us not be pulled away by empty deceit and philosophy and traditions, but be rooted in Christ that we may stand firm. Lord, help us to continue to grow in our love of Jesus so that we may praise you forevermore and that we may grow in your holiness. Father, Lord, we pray this week that we will reflect upon this very gospel, our union with Christ and what it means to be in him, namely that we are forgiven 
our sins and trespasses, that we have been united to your beloved Son, and our hope is found in him. Lord, help that cause us to overflow with worship, that we can't help but tell others about you this week. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.